Welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Sounds like I'm probably the third last person in Guelph to not get <laughs> COVID, so... Hey, 100,000 people a day can't be wrong. Yeah, we'll be out of people soon, right? It'll just be... Yeah, every, in, in the future, everyone will have had COVID once. I can think about that Body Snatchers where Donald uh, Sutherland does that yell. It's like that he was like the last one, right? So that'll be me. No curly perm, but that'll be me. <laughs> oh, hair too perm. So there you go. that is, yeah, those are the two things Invasion of the Body Snatchers is known for. The, cur- <laughs> the, the scream and the curly perm. <laughs> Okay, Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Guelph MP Lloyd Longfield, who's going to join us to talk about last week's federal budget, the current state of Canada's response to the war in Ukraine, and perhaps some other matters that we may dig out some time for. We'll have to wait and see. That's going to be at the bottom half of the show. For the first half, we're going to talk about some of the news items that have been happening in Canada lately, including COVID. It is still here. Uh, It seems like we're still on our own, though. And we're going to talk about why that might be a bad thing. But first, uh, Ukraine is also still in the headlines. uh, Now in its eighth great week. Um, (laughs) Maybe not so much, especially since a lot of the talk this week has been about war crimes. And is it a war crime? Is it genocide? Uh, Probably going to get worse now that the butcher of Syria is in charge of the entire operation. I think we I think that was breaking news just as we were recording this time last week. Um, But it is uh, concerning as uh, we're seeing uh, the pushes on in The eastern parts of the country, Russia seems to be going full speed ahead to try and secure an eastern uh, or at least the eastern portion of the country. That that way they can secure a land bridge uh, that will connect Crimea to uh, mainland uh, Ukraine, the eastern portions, the Donbass region. Uh, All the convoys that were once heading towards Kiev are now heading towards Donbass. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a looks like it might be a pretty bad Easter for those sections of the Ukraine, as it looks like Putin's desperately trying to get a win in time for uh, the VE Day commemorations on May 9th. Everything has to be tied to a holiday in his Mm -hmm. mind or Mm -hmm. some sort of victory. And as they've retreated and it has been a retreat from the north, uh, they've left all sorts of evidence behind. And on Wednesday, the international court said that Ukraine is indeed a crime scene. Mm -hmm. But if you believe Putin, it's actually a movie set (laughs) or Lukashenko who said, Oh, it's British operatives killed those people. Those, you know, the people that are on the news that aren't actually dead. So they can't even get the story straight between them. They had a joint press conference at, at some space center. And I don't know somewhere in the east out of the way out of the way of the action probably so they don't get assassinated but uh, yeah the g word is uh, has surfaced both biden and trudeau have said that there has been genocide in um ukraine but yet uh something like emmanuel macron is holding back on using that word and is taking a little bit of flack for that but you'll note that biden this time isn't backtracking on what he said 
No. Also, the leaders of uh, Lithuania, Poland, Latvia, and Estonia met with Zelensky in uh, Kiev, which sort of speaks to the change in the security situation there, because there's no way they would have been going uh, prior to the Russians uh, regrouping, let's say, to head south. So, And Boris was there, too, so... Oh, and Boris, yeah, Boris went for us. And with the headline I saw was, Boris goes for a walk with Zelensky. Like, what? Mm-hmm. I think there's a little more to it than that. But mm-hmm. yeah, so the fact that they are showing up means things have definitely changed in the North enough um, for that to happen. But I still think it's a bit of an oversimplification to call this a, the you know NATO versus the East, um, which I've seen that as like the NATO op. It's not, it's not a NATO operation, although... Uh, the, the backfiring part of it is that both Finland and Sweden are seriously mulling over whether or not to join NATO mm. officially because they they were not part of it. And I think that surprises uh, some people. So in light of everything that's going on, I think the the quote from one of them was, well, there's been a bit of a change in perspective. I think that was from Finland. Uh, it's more like the writings on the wall. Uh, <laughs> so if the idea was to keep Ukraine and others out of NATO, it's having probably the opposite effect yes that seems to be something that is definitely going to go down i mean it's just a reminder that whatever the objectives were at the start of this thing they it's been a profound fail uh they couldn't they couldn't blitzkrieg their way to kiev um they may hold on to the eastern section and certainly there's been this um reporting that's not confirmed that like a thousand Ukrainian Marines had surrendered in Mariupol, although that comes from uh, one unit in particular, the Azov Battalion, which is uh, like sketchy neo-Nazis and has not been independently verified mm. by any media outlet. But, you know, it's the, the NATO piece of this, too, that it's, you know, it's put uh the alliance uh it's given the alliance new uh relevance given it new vigor it looks like they're bringing in new blood like literally the last countries that want to be part of the alliance at all so again what what has all of this achieved um not that it seems to matter um (laughs) because you know justifications for the war have changed since it started uh whether or not there have been widespread Russian casualties is something that's been dismissed. And then on top of all this, uh, we get news this week that 150 people in the FSB, which is the um, successor agency to the KGB in terms of uh, external intelligence, uh, 150 people were shown the door. And this is the vaunted like fifth division, which which Putin himself created. So this is his unit. Um, It was created to go into countries. They're essentially like a fifth column, although not like secret hush hush kind of fifth column, but kind of like, Hey, we're here to represent Russian interests um, kind of deal. But like, these are the guys who are supposed to go into countries around Russia and like, Hey, remember the good old days with the Soviet union, not too shabby. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, if you're like firing 150 of your top intelligence guys and sending the head of the division, Sergei Bezada, uh, you're sending him to FSB jail in Moscow, literally the jail controlled by the FSB in Moscow. He's 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 now a resident, not a, uh, an employee. Um, there there must be some. I mean, and if this is the stuff we're hearing about, too, there must be some serious tumult in the 
in the military and intelligence communities there like who's who's putin going to go after next he's already like putting his own guys in a box so you know who who else is going to pay a price for his misstep here in russia anyway <laughs> yeah and there's it sounds like there's probably division in the ranks or just mm-hmm. not willing to completely uh, toe the line we'll we'll get you there everything mm-hmm. from those people to uh you know the crackdown on journalists say the wrong thing you get either eight weeks in jail or many years in jail like it's just that's that's how it's rolling um so yeah that's that's actually quite a high number mm-hmm. um but, but putin doesn't hesitate to do that kind of just get people out of the way so the new as you mentioned it's Tvornikov, the new uh general in command mm-hmm. uh known for the siege of aleppo so we know how that went right it's just bomb mm-hmm bomb, 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 as we've seen in Mariupol and other places. So it's already softened up and there will be more of that. So the, the showdown will be um, in the South, right? Mm-hmm. But that's uh, the, all of the energy is moving down Southeast Crimea, Donbass. But uh, th- I mean, this is the thing with the, you know, each Putin also said that he, you know, there's been a genocide. He used those words mm-hmm. of Russians in the Donbass mm-hmm. uh, by neo-Nazis. And yeah, it's those, he's implying it's the kind of sketchy battalion or battalions or people that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the, the root of that is, is kind of baseless. Cause there hasn't been that the bomb. If I understand it right, the bomb that hit the train station, people trying to get away. There's a lot of Russian speaking people in that. So mm-hmm. it's like, are you, are you willing just to, to um, take out what is essentially your own people to achieve this, kind of amorphous goal of the great victory like you said by by mm. may 9 i don't it's it's probably it's not happen i don't think it's going to happen unless they just throw absolutely everything into and at that area in the in the regrouping but you know each every side um both sides have their their nazis let's say they're not Egypt, <laughs> it's not they do they really do and it's uh but you know if you're going to to me anybody who's you know sacrificing populations assaulting raping women killing babies you do those things intentionally you're you you are the nazi mm-hmm. uh r- realistically right it's you know there is war and then there is this this other level of and the rumors of course of um well not the rumors but it's been strongly suggested that chemical weapons were used so they don't have any proof right yet that's um, another one of those things that's come out of the the aves as the off unit um yeah I mean, it's so it's grain of salt, right? With the Azov, it's grain. It's it's grain of salt, and that I mean that yeah. that's that's something for definitely something for the Ukraine to address when this is all over. I mean, there have been reports that the Azovs aren't as bad as they used to be, but I don't know. Like I did, <laughs> I did see a, a a piece of footage of the end of a battle, and I recognized one of the women. And it was she was the one that was outed as like a, as an as an absolute Nazi. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, there is that going on. And, but the, and the problem with that too, is that it, it speaks to the, it goes back to um, plays into what Putin's narrative is because the, as we know, in world war two, there was, you know, there were battalions that were aligned with the Germans back then. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. they still haven't completely un, you know, untangled that either. Right. There's no, so that, but they, they, you know, those are larger uh, political things. Um you know the the roots of it are like if if you are going to uh, assault a population like that, it's like you're not. It's not just 
it's not just war anymore, right? It is, it is, it goes into the, the realm of war crimes. It goes into the realm of genocide, regardless of your, your, your rationale for it. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's even worse than that. One can make the argument. Like there's been reports of, there was one woman who said, um, she was looking for help and she saw like a, and what she thought was an Aberg or turned out to be a disguised Russian soldier who took her prisoner and raped her. And it's like, that's some like, that's not war. That's, that's like criminal mind stuff. That's like, you're thinking like a serial killer or like a serial predator. If you're dressing up like an aid worker, so you can take Ukrainian women prisoner and then rape them. That's great. And it, it seems to be baked into the soup now. Um, just be as absolutely as horrible as you want to be because they're not people. I mean, that's what kind of this, all this comes down mm-hmm. to like this Nazi, they're Nazis they're not Nazis they're neo-Nazis, whatever. It's just, it's a way of dehumanizing these people. Um, and it, you know, I wish I could say like, if you were able to escape, uh, escape Ukraine, that's sort of the end of it. But we also have reports today of Ukrainian women who've been raped by Russian soldiers fleeing to Poland. They arrive in Poland uh, hoping to get an abortion um, if they've been impregnated by their rapist. And that, but unfortunately, because of Poland's abortion laws, uh, you can get an abortion if you've been raped in Poland, but there has to be a criminal complaint attached to it. So like, how do you file a criminal complaint to the soldier in a war zone who raped you um, in the next country over in the middle of a, of a land invasion? It's that, that seems pretty nuts but that's that's the rules in poland but of course you know how many how many of the ukrainian refugees um are settling in poland i don't have the round figure but i know the answer is most of them (laughs) well most of them went to poland for sure but that's you can't forget that poland is allied with the ukraine but Mm -hmm. still uh they have a right-wing government there Mm -hmm. who have their own uh, if you Think back to those border battles with other refugees. Mm-hmm. When I say other refugees, meaning non-European, mm-hmm. with the Poland and Belarus situation, we talked about it when that was happening. You know, there is there is a racist component there, right? But also this kind of that kind of. I guess we don't want to dive too deeply into Polish politics. It's not really what we're talking about. But yeah, there are there are these uh, other externalities going on that that don't necessarily. Um, I, I I don't know what's gonna going to happen with those women it, it, it uh mm. just all i mean everything just awful and in in terms of the russian situation they're not i mean you know the assaults on people is one thing but it sounds like it is getting harder in um russia in terms of just basic economic functioning for people mm-hmm. with the staple foods getting hard to find mm-hmm. a lot of the as we've talked about before the foreign brands leaving mm-hmm. um McDonald's notwithstanding, I suppose, to some degree, uh, but also <laughs> services disappearing, like just being able to do basic bank- banking. Um, so I guess sanctions are having some kind of effect as to how deep that's going to go. It's hard to say. Well, even that could uh, still be spun because apparently there are like ultra nationalists in Russia who are seeing like, yes, we're getting rid of all the Western influences. Dasvidaniya, like Levi's and McDonald's and like all of these corrosive Western influences. They freaking love it. So even in some quarters, that's still a win in Russia. That's right. Let's get back to this sorting through the giant box for a pair of shoes that match. (laughs) 
which I actually <laughs> witnessed when I was in Moscow, but that's a story for another day. But yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't think anybody, regardless of your politics, really wants to go back uh, to that. Yeah, to be continued, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And as they continue on with the war in Ukraine, we are getting on with COVID here in Ontario. Um, Dr. Moore emerged from self-imposed exile. Um, (laughs) Whatever it was, he emerged this week and said that, no, we're not going back to mask mandates, even though it's getting harder and harder to ignore people calling for the return to mask mandates. BA2, the new subvariant of Omicron, is the um, cause uh, more transmissible, even though it's less than less quote-unquote severe and i can attest that uh less severe or mild symptoms is not as mild as you think they are when you're suffering them for those that don't know adam <laughs> is actually positive so i don't think i we was officially yeah, said that but now he's on the upswing but yes i don't think we've i i did i did have you a outed yourself there dude like <laughs> No, no, Tell I had the tr- people what that coffin's about. Yeah. <laughs> I had a true, I had a true confession on on this week's Politicast. Uh, um, but yeah, no, it's like the mild symptoms don't feel mild. It's like yeah, most of the time you can sleep through it. But enough about me though. Uh, we're staying the course. Christine Elliott says it's all good because we got thirty one hundred beds available. She didn't mention uh, that those beds have to be staffed, which seems to be harder and harder. In area hospitals, indeed, in St. Mary's, uh, Ontario, the hospital there uh, closed uh, their emergency room overnight uh, this week because they've had staffing issues. So we if we weren't living in two worlds before, it, it does feel like now that we're sort of living in two different COVID worlds, it feels like. Yeah, one's a dream world. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, sticking with that for a second, there's that was reported this week that the Catholic school in Cambridge closing until after the Easter because of staffing mm-hmm. shortages. Mm-hmm. I said some of the staff are out. I don't know how much staff it takes to be out for a school to close. Probably quite a few. Mm-hmm. And also one up in Bradford. Yeah. So did you actually see the press conference, Adam, or some of it? I watched it and it was and in, in perfect Ontario government tradition, it's a it's the press conference everybody wanted to see. So it started 15 minutes late. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I happened to see this one. I've missed a lot of them, but I happened to catch this one. And I take it. I didn't recognize him at first, but Brian Lilly sitting in the front yep. row. Yeah. Brian Lilly yep. of the sun, ex of the rebel, no mask on. Yep. Partner to Ford's press secretary, Ivana Yelich. Yep. Lobbing party line questions to Moore and Moore was like, oh, that's a great question. I mean, the whole thing is a fix pre-scripted stage, in my opinion, right? Staged and pre-scripted, right? It, it was so bizarre. It was it so makes bizarre. like it's it's like Russian disinformation level of because his comments were like, well, you know, we know this, you know, this, the problems aren't the schools are not that dangerous. What's the, mm-hmm. you know, not as dangerous as long term care. Long term care is crashing as well. Right? Mm-hmm. Is something mm-hmm. like 18% of long term care homes are in outbreak right now? Got that right? I think so. I think my number's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And 18% of long term care, that's a lot. It's like over 100, right? So he's doing the whole, oh, you know, everything's okay. But it's, it's not even just that, it's the whole like relationship there. You're not even trying to hide this, right? Mm-hmm. So, 
And I mentioned that because I saw a couple of posts saying that no one is talking about this. So I wanted to talk about it <laughs> just for a minute or two. It's like, there hasn't been a press conference in a month. And of course, the first question, well, there hasn't been a press conference in a month. Well, why not? When you see a setup like that, it doesn't actually matter what Moore is saying. I know he's the chief doctor. Mm-hmm. But when he's just, he's lobbing the whole stuff that's been said, you know, wear your mask. You don't have to do this. You know, make sure you get your booster, blah, blah, blah. Like we all know these things. It's the government's way of saying via Moore that they're not going to do anything else. Hmm. They're not. There's no There's no talk of reintroducing mandates. They're just sort of happening, not even organically. They're just happening to try and ward off disaster. Laurier last week down the street, down the road. And U of G this week said, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to just gonna continue the mask mandate. And in University of Guelph's case, it's like end date unknown. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to read into that, but it's probably not a bad thing. Although the students are leaving very soon, actually, within a week or two, they will, most of them will be gone for the summer. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, although there are those like the Brian Lillies of the world that think wearing a mask is the most disastrous thing that can happen and <laughs> my rights, blah, blah, blah. It's like just, if there's nothing else to try, we have to try this. But then again, there's no metric to measure what's going on anymore. No, right? and that's there the isn't. thing, yeah. They like, keep pointing to wastewater and it's like, it doesn't matter. What does wastewater tell you? tells you in a building or, or in an area there's lots of covid but it doesn't tell you how many cases right well it's also incomplete like in our region they're testing in orangeville and mm-hmm. in guelph but you know there's a whole a whole big piece of land in between called wellington county um yeah it's it, i i was kind of shocked at how limp that press conference was and then letting lily kind of throw him a rope um i mean <sighs> That's a great question. It's just like, oh, come on. Right? Like, I just like, are you serious? Like, it's uh, it was like watching something out of a sitcom. It, it was just so over the top. Um, but yeah, like there was a report. I have so many thoughts in my head. Um, yeah. But there was a report uh, today from the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario that says, you know, they did this study that says school age children going back and forth to school, uh, the, the virus is, has a 50% higher transmissibility rate in homes where there are school-aged children. And that was before the highly transmissible version of the virus. So how many kids are like going around, going to school? I mean, you could say, I guess, practically speaking, we don't know for sure that the kids are getting COVID from school. But if you're an adult and your kid goes to school, or if you're an adult who gets COVID and you're sending your kids to school, that's a vector. Um, so to, to pretend like, oh, you know, everything's pretty cool in school. And yeah, that, like one of the biggest like jaw drop moments was that announcement today, the Cambridge cl- school that closed. It's like, wow, that's, it, it must be bad enough because the whole point of this, regardless of, you know, the, the complaining about schools closing or not, the whole point of this was to get those schools open, uh, kind of essentially whatever the, the cost and sometimes the cost wasn't very high at all. Um, and then finally, I think, yeah, it's the, the approach to masks has been a problem in, in all of this. the, the message has always been wear a mask for a little while and then we get back to normal instead of phrasing it. And it, it's a very 
thin distinction, but instead of, they needed to phrase it as wear a mask so we can get back to normal. It could have been, and you, you see this reaction, people are treating the mask as a punishment. If you, if you're a good boy and girl and you wear your mask, you can get back to normal. And it's like, well, maybe that's not, that was never the ways to phrase, to phrase this. Maybe the way to phrase this was, we can get back to something resembling a normal life as long as we are all out in the community keeping our distance and wearing our masks and getting our shots. But they put all their chips on the on the shots. And that is not that has never been a strategy. And the, the public health actors have never sold that as a solution. Vaccines help. Vaccines help stop the spread of the virus. They help stop you experiencing severe symptoms. And let me just say, as someone who's had COVID with, quote unquote, mild symptoms, I do not want to know what those severe symptoms are. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's I mean the, the, a lot of the people turning up in the hospital and the and the the ICUs are mm-hmm. unvaccinated. So mm-hmm. imagine what they are feeling like regardless of their philosophy or how they feel about vaccines. They're definitely feeling the effects of this, right? But and this is part of the problem too with the focus on masks because it's become all about the masks and I don't even want to mention the freedom people, but that's you know, <laughs> some number to count on Twitter is going to go about that children's you know hospital report. It's all lies. Yeah, it's like okay, but then talking about other improvements that could be made has been put aside. Remember, they were going to put air filters in every classroom, mm-hmm. in every classroom in Ontario. Did that happen? I don't know. I don't spend any time in classrooms in, in you know in <laughs> classrooms in Ontario, right? But if that had happened, that would be an improvement. Are there openable windows or windows of the painted shut that could be open? That would be an improvement. Like there are all these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Plus, as you say about gathering and because I can tell you anecdotally, the, the people that I have heard getting COVID and, and spreading, at least currently pre, let's say pre-Easter weekend has mm-hmm. been kids are in school, unvaccinated or in various states of vaccinated, come home, bring COVID home, the parents get it. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's probably 80% of the people I know. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a wide, I know a wide swath of people in town. Then there's, you know, others. Part of what Lily said, well, schools aren't really the problem, are they? If the kids are getting COVID and they're unvaccinated and bringing it home to the parents, regardless of the status of vaccination or otherwise of the parents, yeah, then it is a problem. And then it gets passed on to the elders mm-hmm. or you have a, you know, an Easter meeting, an Easter uh, dinner or whatever, or gathering, mm-hmm. uh, then it is a problem and it is going to be a problem. And, you know, anybody who takes a step back for a minute will probably reconsider what they're going to do this coming weekend for Easter. Um, Mm. You should also probably skip the kinder eggs as well, sadly, but that's, you know, (laughs) uh, but definitely give it a think people because uh, you know, it's, it's, this is probably the worst it has been Mm. in, in the, in the vaccinated era, let's say. Right. I was yes. thinking back to last year and two years ago. It was the same thing. Oh, you probably you know, probably should watch it, and people did watch it, but now they're not because they're vaccinated. It's like, oh, you know, they say everything's okay. It's not okay. <laughs> Sorry, it's <laughs> Doctor Doom here. It's not okay. Nothing is okay. What a, what a place to leave it on. Yikes. Uh, we'll have to take a moment here and uh, find the happy again. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I want to talk about you. I spent all day with people 
That was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, 21 MacDonnell in the downtown. And that is from the CFRU charts. That is the weather station from the album. How is it that I should look at the stars? And the song was to talk about. Kind of in keeping with that somber note we ended on there. But <laughs> if all else fails, just go out and look at the stars. Get some, Get some fresh air. And uh, yeah, it's going to be okay. Well, I never thought I'd say this, but let's go to Lloyd Longfield and see if he can liven these things up a little. <laughs> I... <laughs> oh, he will. I kid, Lloyd. Lots to um... talk about there. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lloyd is our member of parliament and uh, he sits on the government side, as I'm sure all of you listening to this know. The government posted their budget for the next fiscal year uh, around this time last week. And there's lots of money going out the door for things like dental care, for things like first time home buyers, more defense spending, uh, fighting climate change. And uh, well, there's a lot to talk about there. So uh, we got Lloyd on the old Zoom machine to, uh, to, to help us make some sense of it and maybe talk about Ukraine and the NDP agreement and some other things going on. So why don't we hear what Lloyd has to say? Let's hit play on our interview with Lloyd Longfield starting right now. Okay. Well, Lloyd Longfield, thank you for joining me once again on the Zoom machine here. It's appreciated. Well, Adam, it's always good to be talking on Zoom with you. Uh, (laughs) I guess you're going from Zoom to Zoom to Zoom today. It's uh, it's going by like a Zoom anyway. um, Yeah. Speaking of Zoom, uh, we're it's it's looking like a little more of a full house on Parliament Hill these days. So, um, how how is that working, and how's that working for you in terms of uh, how often you're back on on the Hill now? Yeah, I'm I'm in Guelph this week, but I've been in Ottawa for three three consecutive weeks. And um, when it's a short week like this, we this week and next week we have in the constituency, but then it's back in Ottawa. Um, I think one week back in Guelph between now and the summer. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty, pretty hectic schedule in Ottawa right now. We're definitely all back together. Um, it's concerning that every week there are a few of my colleagues that have COVID that don't come back the next week. And um, in the house, our side of the house is fully masked. The other side of the house, not so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's kind of, you know, it, there's, there's a risk there for sure. And uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not thrilled about the risk part of it, but it is great to be back <laughs> with people face to face. You get a lot of different conversations that you would never have on Zoom. And some of the accidental conversations end up being the most important conversations of the day. So was it a hard adjustment period to go back to in person after? I mean, what was it, a year and a half? With- yeah, pretty close to two, somewhere between a year and a half and two. For me, it was difficult. I I drove for the first five weeks, um, didn't want to go to Pearson. <laughs> and uh, 
Now I have Monday morning at Pearson to look forward to, uh, which is uh, really a zoo. Uh, the number of people trying to get through and the additional screening measures, uh, even with a Nexus card, it, uh, it's an adventure to get through Pearson. <laughs> and you know that that's when you talk about staying away from crowds, socially distancing, uh, scrap all that when you go through Pearson. So. <laughs> but I took the train back last week, which was, oh, yeah. uh, which was wonderful. Uh, I love being on the train. I love trains in general. Uh, but I did have a tour of the construction on center block, which was ah. scheduled for Friday morning. And so instead of being on a plane to Guelph, I, I hung around and had a tour of the construction site. Um, fascinating to see the work that's going on there. Uh, and then brought the train back, uh, got back to Guelph, I think 7.30 Friday night or something. Well, that's not too shabby. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, Parliament business then, and not just the business of Parliament. Um, in terms of uh, the budget that was announced last week, uh, what perhaps we'll go over the highlights uh but for you like what it what was like what what was like like what was lloyd catnip in the budget for you <laughs> <laughs> lloyd catnip i've never heard it put that way but <laughs> there were things i had been working on that showed up in the budget that i was really glad to see uh, mm -hmm. one of them was co-op housing funding so your favorite little lines in the budget uh, for me around housing We've been working on a lot of different uh, aspects of housing in Guelph, and many of those were getting addressed in the budget and the variety of housing options that we need to have worked on. Things like uh, having uh, extensions put on homes for multi-generational living uh, or, or accessibility funding for seniors that want to stay in, in place a little bit longer. Um, I think there's some very practical things around housing and particularly also looking at supply. Uh, we've talked about supply, but we haven't really had programs around supply. Uh, and now in the budget, we, we're committing to, to uh, doubling the growth of housing starts. I've been working with the city of Guelph on their building permitting process. Mm -hmm. And um, Guelph hasn't hasn't qualified for some of the funding on build, building permitting because the funding originally was looking at municipalities that are already going down that road. Right. And uh, we were really starting at scratch and uh, so needed some additional funding just to get some of the, the software put in place. And it looks like we're going to be able to take advantage of that in, the, in this budget. So there's going to be a lot of focus around housing. And, um, you know, I surveyed Guelph to say, what should I be working on? Uh, number one was climate change. Number two was housing. And we have both of those areas in the budget. I think with housing, we're in this kind of weird situation where it's an issue for years. It's gotten to a crisis point where people are demanding yeah. action. So I guess just to to break it down as simply as, as humanly possible for, for people who are worried that their rent is too damn high and that the mortgage is too damn high. Will this make housing more affordable? Like some of the changes you're talking about and, and how quickly will that affordability be reflected? Trying to give you as simple an answer as I can. <laughs> I understand. Uh, it, it, it's not going to help with next month's, payments. Um, right. It's anything to do with housing, you need to build the housing, which you have to go through permitting, you have to get the housing created. 
but I think really addressing some of the issues around supply is going to help us from ramping up the way we did last year. We can't continue to have 20% growth on housing costs. Uh, so the first thing is to stop the stop the fire that we're in right now as much mm. as we can um, with the flames, and then we have to start addressing some of the systemic issues around uh, around housing. Some of that being offshore investment. So right. for two years, no more offshore investments. Also, the flipping. You know, people are buying houses just as an investment to to increase the price of housing by making money on their investments. Uh, that's being cut out. So you can't do this within a year unless you've had some family circumstances that you have to sell the unit that you've purchased uh, within 12 months. So there's going to be some additional taxes to stop people from using housing as an investment tool. We want housing to be there as a place to live. Mm-hmm. And so that is going to hopefully cool down the, the, the way the prices have been increasing. And then on the other side, we have to look at things like childcare, getting more money so that people can pay for the additional costs that housing is is taking out of their their their, their budget. Um, so some of that is moving money from childcare into housing, um, and so we're looking at coming at it from a, a number of different angles. Longer answer than I, I had hoped to give you, <laughs> right? But I think the first thing is we have to stop this this ridiculous growth that we have in the cost of housing. I I do wonder if, and this is this is kind of getting into a little more philosophical ground, but the we're trying to put out a fire that has been burning and raging, and people have been feeding into it. It's, it's not just that the fire is burning; we've been actively throwing fuel yep. onto the fire too. Yep. Doesn't it fundamentally begin like any approach to housing? Shouldn't we fundamentally begin with the, with answering the question: Is housing a human right? And if it is a human right, how does that? Don't we have to fundamentally alter this system that we have, and not just sort of put out the fire, as it were? Yeah. <laughs> now you're going down a. Uh, I, I think housing is has to be considered as, as one of the human rights. And if you look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, um, it will be expressed in different ways through that in, in terms of international human rights. Um, and you know, having no poverty is another human right. right. And, and, and those two things connect together very directly. Um, and so, yes, we have to address it as a human rights issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that is reducing poverty and some of that is also um, access to uh, fair wages and, and uh, proper employment. Uh, we've got a hot employment market right now, but it's not translating into wage growth right. and uh, it should be translating into wage growth at some point, uh, And it has to, um, and some of that has to be worked cross jurisdictional. Some of it is just market driven that um, we've got so many shortages in in Guelph and across Canada in in jobs that aren't getting filled and so to get people directed into those into the jobs that they want to do that are also jobs that we have uh, shortages in. There was an article on CBC this morning that uh, they were talking to Canadian economists and, and the headline essentially is Canadians are so worried about the future they can't enjoy the present and and I mean that seems to be the tricky spot we're in right now there there, <clears throat> there is so much opportunity right now but people can't necessarily see it because they're worried about 
you know, lots what, of things. What, lots of things. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, not the least of which is we're still in a pandemic. Right. And which is largely being abandoned by governments now. And um, saying you're on your own. We, you don't have to wear a mask, even though in classrooms, obviously, we've got 30% of our students not in, not in classes. And we've got teachers being sick to the point where they're going to have to start closing schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> some of this generates a, a mistrust in government because governments aren't looking after people. And I take responsibility for that as well. Right. So I, and then you get into the social media, you know, the echo chambers that exist that really get people concerned and, and, and rightly so in some cases, and in some cases getting information that's just wrong and, right. and it fuels itself. So the mental health aspect coming out of COVID is, is adding, is being added to the normal concerns that we have over how am I going to pay the bills next month? Um, how am I going to find a place to live, uh, the things that you've already mentioned. Um, Or if you're a senior, you know, how am I going to be looked after in a fixed income situation? So um, there's no shortage of things to worry about, but we are living in a pretty, pretty good place when you compare us to the Ukraine or Afghanistan or Eritrea or name a country in, in, in the world. Canada is in a very enviable place for us in terms of safety and in terms of stability and freedom um we still have trucks in ottawa saying that we don't have freedom or we did have uh, when you compare that to what's going on in the ukraine it's it's uh, right there's no comparison so we do need to address mental health and that's a long i've given you another long answer which <laughs> I'm, I'm becoming known for probably <laughs> no because but- these are big they're big issues they're complicated issues and they're very hard to get into a 15 second sound bite. But it, it, it speaks to a difficulty, and I think all levels of government are feeling this, that um, there are these big issues that need to be addressed. They are not all owned by a single level of government. I mean, housing is a very good example of that. City control, the cities control where and how much a ha- the housing is. Um, you know, there's provincial regulations, but everyone's looking to the federal government to sort of pick up funding slack as well. And, and sure. it, we're... We're expecting a lot of our, our governments and not not to let governments skate on blame. Uh, I'm a member of the media, so I would never do that. But, sure. No, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, there, there's a lot I of pressure. Want you to. <laughs> there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And so you have to look at the priorities. So I think the way back to the budget mm-hmm. of saying we recognize housing is a big challenge and we're putting on the table what that challenge is and we need to take our own ownership of what we can do about that as a federal government. We also are very, and personally, I'm very actively engaged with uh, the municipality because I think the municipality is the one that actually issues building permits and has an official plan that's under review with Guelph. We're looking at where are we going to put 50,000 more people in a fixed geography uh, we're not getting more land. Uh, we have we have to work with what we have. And so that's going to mean doing things differently in terms of what we're building. Um, and then we need the, the, enough rental units that the, the price doesn't keep going the way it is so that people have a choice to say, okay, there's more choice. So I'm not going to have to be paying based on this is the only rental unit available and everybody's bidding on the same, the same uh, place to live. So right. uh, we also, something in the budget that, 
frankly surprised me was that we put another big problem on the table that we didn't have to put on the table. It's been on the table for decades since I was at the Chamber of Commerce and before, well before, is productivity growth. Mm. You know, and I, I had a, a career in machine automation, process improvement, uh, worked across Canada in industries that were looking at uh, how, do we, how do we improve our productivity? We we're still number 21 in the OC, OECD and, mm. and getting worse. Mm. Um, and so we're adding more people to Canada. We've got you know, 200,000 so far uh, people coming to Canada this year as immigrants. We're hoping to get over 400,000 people. That will give us economic growth because you add people, you get economic growth. But we're not getting improved productivity. So how do we, how do we improve our economic returns so that everybody gets a benefit when, when the economy is growing? So right now, not everybody's benefiting from a, a, a very good economy. GDP growth is huge. We're, we're number two in the, in the G7 in terms of how our economy is doing. Mm. People are still going, yeah, but I can't afford a place to live. Groceries are too expensive. Look at the price of gas. Mm. Uh, filling my, my tank is, is not going to be, uh, you know, that's taking too much of my household, household uh, expenses. So we're in a good economic situation that not everybody's benefiting from. So we've put that into the budget to say, we have to change our innovation uh, uh, returns. We have to focus on productivity growth so that everybody can benefit. So we're putting some things on the table to say, these are big issues for Canada. We have to work on them as a federal government. We know it's going to cost money. We know we're going to have to spend some time collaborating with provinces, territories, businesses, attracting outside investment. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're also coming through COVID where we've been doing that. We've, we've mm -hmm. had to work with conservative provincial governments that don't always want us to, you know, do the things that we want to be doing. Right. The, the productivity you're talking about, um, it's the numbers that are holding us back. Like we don't have the workforce, like we're, we're essentially losing productivity because we don't have the workforce. Businesses aren't investing in productivity. Right. Businesses are not investing in research and development. Right. Okay. And we have programs for them to do that, but we're not getting the returns. Uh, the research and development that businesses are doing are not in increasing their productivity. Right. And so um, we have to, Israel is a great example of a country that knows how to invest in the right places to get productivity, which makes them more competitive, which increases their export, which increases their, their economy. Finland has been a great example of investing in the right way to get economic returns for the country. Uh, the United States always leads the world in productivity. They've got other issues that we don't want in Canada. <laughs> and um, definitely politically, we don't want in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, but they're good at making money and we're not. So right. we need to put that on the table and figure out how, how we can do that and still get the right social returns and still get the the progress on the climate crisis that we're in, that we, we're, we're doing well on getting some progress. We're not as fast as, as most people want us to be doing, but right. we're, we're, we're setting up very well for 2026, between 2026 and 2030. Uh, we're making some investments in clean technology that are, are take a while to come through, but we're also putting caps on oil and gas. We're, we're doing some of the work that needs to be done. I sit on the environment committee, so we're... <laughs> We've got our finger on some of these things. Um, 
but we also know uh, that we have to do better and uh, and that and including indigenous indigenous communities. So yeah, no shortage, no shortage. There's always something to do. Yeah, but yeah. we have to put priorities in the right areas. I, I do want to take a couple of minutes to address uh, the the war in Ukraine and and some sure. of our those defense spending concerns. Yep. Uh, there is more defense spending in the budget, but we do still fall short of the 2% of GDP that all NATO countries committed to. Um, how long-term is is the plan to get to 2%? Well, back in 2017, 18, I think the budget was, we, we put a long-term plan on the uh, strong, secure, strong, secure, engaged uh, defense spending. And um, defense had lagged for decades. And there was a lot of lapsed money as well, where there was money in some of the Harper budgets that never got spent. And then there were cutbacks. And, and so it isn't new to us that you know defense is one of those areas you can politically push aside and, and not spend money on. And people mm-hmm. aren't going to, by and large, complain about it. Mm-hmm. But we do have international obligations that obviously we are falling short on and have to do better. So this budget puts $8 billion in addition to what we've already put in as increased defense spending. And um, plus another $500 million for the Ukraine specifically for, for de- defense equipment and uh, a loan of up to a billion dollars for loan to the Ukraine as well for additional spending. Um, Afghanistan hasn't gone away either. We still have Mm. uh, issues in Afghanistan. Uh, Sub-Saharan Africa continues to rage. Uh, So we, we, you know, the situation in in Ethiopia isn't great. Um, So all of that uh, starts pointing towards uh, national security and um, climate change is creating some of the national security issues Mm. by people having to move from drought zones into areas that they've never lived. And that puts strain on cities in different parts of the world and, uh, and on countries in different parts of the world that, that then you get um, more uh, fascism and less democracy. And so we also see defense spending as a way of protecting democracy. And so we know we have to do that. So the eight billion, I haven't done the calculation, but it's going to get us somewhere over one point five percent. We were sliding, sliding, sliding for many years. We can't recover it in one year, especially during a pandemic, mm-hmm. and especially when we're putting in things like dental care. That's going to be another five billion dollars that wasn't on our agenda, but all right. of a sudden is on our agenda. <laughs> so, um, and that's going to be complicated. But we have a short timeline to get that going with the provinces and territories. You obliquely referred to the agreement uh, with the NDP. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people in the NDB camp are not fans of defense spending of any sort, no matter sort of what the priority is. So I guess like, is that, is is that a potential, I guess, stretch point for, for the agreement that, you know, there's, there's, there's a strong grassroots uh, constituency in the NDP that will not favor any money going to the national defense right Uh, you and i are reading that pretty much the same okay Uh, i wasn't part of the negotiating team um we found out about about it on the monday night Uh, we had like a an hour notice that the prime minister (laughs) wanted to meet with us i was in another meeting and which all of a sudden ended and uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> so my reflection, my initial reflection is one that I've been kind of testing and, and uh, my initial reflection was we wouldn't get the budget passed with that much defense spending unless we mm -hmm. had an agreement with the NDP mm -hmm. and uh, the, the NDP would vote against it. And so 8 billion in defense, 5 billion in dental care. Okay, we've got a quid pro quo, but we've got $13 billion into a budget in a pandemic that, right. you know, we also have to get back on our feet and get the economy going. We have housing to be created. And so uh, it was, uh, I think it was, uh, it's, it's a necessary move. The timing of the move would probably be something that would be different if we didn't mm. have the agreement, right. but it's going to be good for Canadians. And, and I think it's good for parliament. I think by not having the sort of Damocles hanging over us all the time that we're going to have an election if you don't do this right now, uh, we now say, okay, by 2025, we are, the NDP is really pushing to get the, um, the, the subsidies in oil and gas down to zero. We've right. moved from 2025 to 2023, and they're saying that isn't fast enough, and we're going, you know it's 2022 right now, right? Um, so we are working with the NDP on the progressive programs that they want to see in place. And I think that's going to help Parliament in general, because conservatives are going to vote against everything we do. We know that going in. Right. Unfortunately, that's the way our, 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 our democracy works. It would be nice if we had more agreement between conservatives and liberals. And I think that's what I also mentioned about the United States. <laughs> we don't need the, the, this massive divide between the two main parties that they have. Mm. Um, maybe this will help bridge some of that. I don't know. I hope so. Well, we have to take the politics out of the show. We have reached the end of the interview, but uh, no way. Lloyd, I know it's it, time flies. <sighs> yeah, Time flies when you're having fun. But uh, Lloyd, I'm afraid I must call an end to the fun and say thank you for joining us on this week. <laughs> okay, Adam, thank you. I hope you got some of the what you wanted to get. We went <laughs> sideways a little bit, but uh, it's a great, uh, great time to be involved in politics. And thanks for co covering it. It's uh, lots of stories for you to talk about. All right. So that was Guelph MP Lloyd Longfield. And uh, always an interesting time having Lloyd on the show. And uh, always informative. Run Not the true. gamut. Run the gamut. That's right. Soup to nuts. <laughs> Soup to nuts. <laughs> I'm, I'm in old man mode. I think these days, you know, it's soup to nuts with that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Always good to hear from one of them. For sure. Six, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Anyway, um, clearly it's a long weekend because we need the time off. Oh, so that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. If you want to stay connected to us, you can go to our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and uh, for all things CFRU, check out cfru.ca slash shows. Or just the whole website, for that matter. Yeah, you could spend a whole afternoon there. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources. And we will see you then. Mm -hmm.